0: Witches. Thank you for joining us on our Modern Witches podcast. This series is a space for musings on the diverse pathways of witchcraft, intuitive inspiration, and spiritual activism. We cannot wait to revel in what is bubbling away in our cauldron of collective magic. I am your podcast host, Casey Zabala, creatrix and gatherer of Modern Witches. My hope is that our community fosters a greater depth of understanding of witches everywhere, so that we may cultivate hope for the future of humanity, a humanity that honors and upholds magic as a sacred thread that illuminates our connectivity. Be sure to subscribe, and if you'd like to get more intimate with Modern Witches, check out our Patreon. Learn more at modernwitches.org. Hello and welcome to the Modern Witches podcast. I am very excited to have a special guest here today, Cabele, a mentor and friend. And I'm very excited to be asking uh, these questions around magic and witchcraft and spirituality to um, inspire all of you and hopefully connect you with Kabele's work more. Kabele has taught magic, ritual and meditation with the Reclaiming Collective and its founding Medver, Starhawk, from 1984 to 1997 in the US, Canada and Europe. In the last 20 plus years, Kabele has taken her longtime practice of working with the body and dreaming into the earthwork of stone medicine. The lower realm of stones and crystals aligns with her interest in ultra slow micro movements to open the body, emotions and spirit. She has practiced hands-on healing and intuitive work for more than 40 years. Kabele is a Lomi bodyworker, Jin Shin jiu practitioner, and intuitive stone healer. Her stone healing sessions can include laying on of stones, stone meditation, or movement exp- exploration with or around a stone or a group of stones. As of 2023, Kabele is facilitating new moon dream incubation sessions and birthday dream incubation sessions with individuals, or with small groups. For information about sessions and other classes and workshops, visit com, And we'll share all of Cabelle's links and information at the end and in our show notes so you all can learn more. Welcome, Cabelle.
1: Thank you. It's exciting to be here. It is. And Cabele,
0: just for context, was a, a part of our I guess second confluence um, back in 2019, and um, we're just it, it kind of initiated a, a relationship between the two of us ever since. So I'm very excited to have you on the podcast and talk more about your practice and your your history. Yeah, I would love to hear about, kind of how, what was your introduction to witchcraft and magic?
1: Well, um, in San Francisco, in maybe 1982, a good friend of mine was in a, I think it was first a study group, maybe about feminist spirituality, it's hard to remember, um, <laughs> that became a coven a dianic coven and um, a dianic coven means that it was all women and that we, in terms of invoking deities, we only worked with the goddess or goddesses and I was invited to join and I don't know how many years we were all together. Three or four if memory serves and. um, yeah I was initiated in in that tradition first and um and then i got a psychic reading from my beloved friend teacher colleague rose may dance may she rest in peace though she probably rests in mischief Mm -hmm. um and that prompted me to, to study that kind of work. And um, eventually, my connection with her led me into the the Reclaiming Collective It was a collective at that time. And I think somehow I started teaching kind of right away. Um, but I was also learning, learning, learning for years in terms of public rituals and facilitating them and teaching and doing magic and fabulous. Everything was fabulous except reaching consensus in a collective meeting. That was mm-hmm. very challenging for someone who is as, as impatient as I am. <laughs> I am impatient, yeah. Um, how was that being uh,
0: the collective structure? Like how was that um formed really and was it a big group of people in the beginning?
1: It was well how many people was it? Let me think for a second. Fifteen, 17? We weren't always all there either. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, people I believe kind of invited in by people who were theirs so or who they met or um, they were in classes, and then they got invited in. Um, yeah, and it was it was challenging being a collective with one person who was a famous witch and not any of us falling into um, asking her or letting her, be a leader, whether to follow her or to fight against her. Mm-hmm. You know, because she wrote the, the little red book of reclaiming witchcraft, the spiral dance. And that was a really big, big splash in the pond at that time. Um, right. But it, it was fabulous people. So many whom I still do. So that part of it was really great. And doing public rituals in San Francisco was also really just amazing.
0: Yeah, that's something, right, yeah. I know the, the, the Reclaiming Collective continues on to this day. Not um, as a collective,
1: but as a community. Right. Somehow. I was on my way out when that change was happening so I may not have all the language correct plus there have been like many generations of waves of new witches involved so a reclaiming coven for a handful of years when I lived in San Francisco and still when I moved up here to Sonoma County and um, but I've been, uh, in terms of coven work, I've been solo for probably 16 or 17 years, but I've been facilitating ongoing um, stonekeepers groups that meet four times a year. So, and some of those people have been uh, students or clients of mine for, really up to i can't believe this like 30 years so i haven't been doing the stone keepers that long but there's a lot of solidity in the group work and it's different because i'm the facilitator and i get paid so i make a certain level of decision all the time um mm-hmm. so there is that i have been in many dream groups also um since my years in San Francisco, and I'm in a, I'm a member of a dream group up here in Sonoma County that is just fabulous. It's not all, quote, witches, um, but I don't know. I'd say also that it was, but that's not <laughs> how people, you know, necessarily identify. And I am also as well as a witch, and it's kind of tricky, but I don't have to make everything logically work out.
0: Right, <laughs> I'm, I'm cur- Right, <laughs> I'm curious about how you would define
1: a witch or witchcraft. Well, when I was thinking about defining witch, witchcraft or magic, mm-hmm. Um, I really was drawn back to Starhawk's uh, definition that I believe is in the spiral dance, which is that magic is the art of changing consciousness at will. So that's kind of the spine of what I experience magic to me. And also that it's an earth-based tradition recognized as alive. Everything of the earth is alive. I don't believe corporations are people or they are alive, but I believe the little rocks are alive. Certainly the trees and the animals and the water and the fire and the elements are alive. And um I think... Well, for me, witchcraft certainly has to do with a relationship to the sun and the moon and the cycles of the moon and the sun. So the um, the kind of agricultural cycles of the sun and the and and a lot of magic is is um invoking and collaborating with those kind of forces in, in ritual, which is really a kind of play in a symbolic way, or with a, a conscious symbolic layer. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I like that, I like that definition of ritual. Martin Buber said, play is the exaltation of the possible. And I love that also. Yes, yeah. Because uh, witchcraft is is an ecstatic tradition and exaltation and ecstasy are siblings at least. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, So yeah, there is that. And the cultivation of also in witchcraft, there's a cultivation of all the inward senses. Um, Inner seeing, inner hearing, sensation, inner emotions, knowing, um, inner smelling, so as well as the the outer senses, since since we are earth-based tradition, we're sensual by being (laughs) earthy, right? um, Crafting things with the hand, as well as the um, kind of the mind in meditation or trance work, mm-hmm. is a big part of it. As is as is drumming and singing and chanting, using mm-hmm. the, the voice. Really, that's the air element. <laughs> right, but all the elements are are. With us and honor, including the fifth element, which is spirit. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, the cultivation of those inner senses reminds me so much of your stone work. And I'm curious how and when you sort of started working so
1: intimately with the stone world. Well, for For a lot of years, when I was um, back when I was actively involved with the Reclaiming Collective, um, I was one of the people, because I was already initiated, that I was um, facilitating initiations with other initiation. I don't know what to call them, circles, committees, (laughs) Mm -hmm. for people who, who asked for it, and who I agreed to do that with, and I was somehow always in charge of the part of it that had to do with the stones, like choosing the stones, and bringing the stones, and I mean, I've always loved stones, and and it, it didn't go tremendously much farther than that. I knew some things about the more common um, semi-precious stones that one will find in s- stone stores and witchcraft stores, mm-hmm. crystal stores, like the many of them up in Mount Shasta, where you are. Um, yes. And then when I had chronic fatigue, when I first lived up in Sonoma County, and I I took a, I don't know, a month or so off work. Um, I just found myself working with the stones and meditating with them and just going to a much deeper place of exploration. It was was a very creative and healing experience, although I did have chronic fatigue for 15 years, all told, and sometimes I feel like it's still, still hiding it myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but out of that came sort of the, the blueprint for my, um, my sort of stone foundation work that I do with individuals or groups that, that I call um, Seven Gates uh, Chakra and Gemstone Journey that has two separate cycles and one is the fountain, the first one, which works up the chakras with two stones for each chakra that resonate with the powers and the color of each chakra. And then the waterfall one that works back down with another set of stones that resonate with each color and each chakra. So the first is the fountain is the path of purification and liberation and the waterfall is the path of embodiment and manifestation. And just the, the idea and the words and the stones for that just sort of came pouring into me during that time. And I just, I mean, if I could surf, I was kind of surfing, surfing the energy with the stones and, and, you know, I read a lot about them and in some magic classes I had taken earlier I did learn some things about them but I have never actually taken a class about stones but I've worn out my Copy of Michael Geinger's Crystal Power, Crystal Healing. I think that's the name of his book, mm-hmm. and several other books that I have found that I resonate with.
0: Yeah, it's sort of this beautiful way of teaching how to speak with the stone stones themselves, and and really brings in that piece of um, animism that you were talking about earlier. Just how everything is alive and sentient, and
1: and also. Since since the manifest part of chakras are are endocrine glands and endocrine glands make hormones and hormones kind of rule life in the body it's it is also really a very embodied and emotional. healing journey. healing slash growth, I mean. Not every chakra needs healing always, but pretty much all of us have one or two chakras at any given time or for any given lifetime that always have a lot of issues to be dealt with um, right? yeah, so um I mean, as a body worker, i and um, when I was very young, a long time dance student, I also, the bo- the body is really the foundation of my work and it's kind of a body to body thing with the stones and me. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I feel like, you know, witchcraft is such, a, is a spirituality that really honors the body in that way too. Um, yes.
1: I can remember how happy I was when I discovered that witchcraft said, this vagina, these eyes, these ears, this cooking soup, this sweeping the house, what what a tremendous relief. And I wasn't raised in a very strong monotheistic, you are a bad and sinful tradition. (laughs) Both my parents were in reaction, one to Catholicism and one to Calvinism. So it was still in the atmosphere as something they were reacting against. So, you know, can't really escape, can't really escape it, I don't think. I mean, unless you live somewhere off the grid, and uh, yes. raised entirely off the grid, um, it's, it's here.
0: Mm-hmm. It's definitely hard to escape it in the US for sure. Um,
1: and I'm not saying that those other spiritual paths do not have depth and value, they do. Unfortunately, I've encountered the monotheistic religions particularly Christianity, largely in the way that it's damaged people. Um, yeah. Just just as it happens in my experience.
0: I have had similar experience. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious though, because you, you mentioned sort of being um, a Buddhist as well as a witch. Um, how do you find yourself kind of holding different facets of your spirituality?
1: Well, I was formally introduced to Buddhism in the form of Vipassana Buddhism when I did the Lomi bodywork training in 1985, because we, at that point, it was, I think, a two and a half month training that was like five or six days a week. And every time we met at the beginning of our day, we would sit for an hour together. And um, we were also taken down to Joshua Tree in uh, California to attend a meditation sit with um, people from Spirit. Well, Spirit Rock didn't even exist then. It was started, I think it started very shortly thereafter with um, Jack Kornfield and Jamie Baraz and um, Joseph Goldstein and I think even Sharon Salzberg was it. Anyway, people who went become you know major teachers and writers of books who are all still with us, thankfully. Um, Mm -hmm. So I mean that was really kind of getting thrown off the deep end to sit in silence for ten days. Although I did break several of the rules, but. (laughs) (laughs) So for many, many years, I, I sat every day after that, not for an hour, usually for 30 or 40 minutes. And, and then I had a lot of years where I bounced in and out of sitting and I've read a tremendous amount in different kinds of Buddhism. I'm very inspired by it and that central of or perception of impermanence, how everything is always changing, always changing is not so different than having a relationship with the moon. She's always changing, always changing. And actually we are also, even though it's kind of hard to keep up with unless we can manage to park ourselves fully in the present, which is difficult to do, which is why meditation practice is so, that sort of meditation practice of mindfulness is so, I think is so useful, um, both in terms of embodiment and training the mind and recognizing that I am not my mind really in the last 20 years with the advent of the the screens it's harder and harder to well i would think for people that were raised with those screens that it's it's harder and harder to know them maybe that were not our mind yeah i mean actually i am my mind and i'm more than my mind i'm my body and i'm more than my body I'm my emotions and I'm more than my emotions. That larger frame of impermanence is also a kind of uh, freedom, a a Mm -hmm. freedom of detachment. And I don't mean detachment in like a cold cerebral way. I mean in a relieved, (laughs) letting go, surrendered way. Um, Yeah. And that enormous sort of, that enormous impermanence for me is the same thing as everything is connected, interconnected. And it's always moving. Mm-hmm. Even the stones are moving. It's just, their molecules are slower. Right, yeah. And the galaxies are turning, Every you know. Everything is is moving and (laughs) somehow the cultivation of stillness is also a very important piece in my practice and in Buddhist practice, although now my primary practice is Qigong, Mm. which is beautiful and very slow movement and I just am finding it delicious and healing and fascinating these last, since the lockdown. Right mm-hmm. after the lockdown, I took my first class with Teja Bell and I've been studying with him ever since remotely. Amazing. <laughs>
0: yeah. I love that. It's a beautiful practice for sure.
1: Yeah. So nice. Nice to be practiced to have a practice that makes me slow down. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yes. It's funny like how slowing down can help you sort of perceive that quality of time that you were talking about. Yeah. And I'm curious, just as you're talking about everything changing and the in this sense of impermanence, you know, how how are you perceiving sort of the evolution of witchcraft right now? Or even the term modern witchcraft like what does that mean to you
1: modern witchcraft like when you you um you sent me that question like what comes to mind when you hear the word modern witchcraft or modern witches yeah i thought right away of, of the and the unbalanced and harmed by humanity's recklessness and greed in terms of um, using up what we call natural resources, and also our inability to grok cause and effect. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, and, And our addiction to fossil fuel and cars and yeah instant gratification instant gratification machines Mm -hmm. so i i i think of that and i and i think of younger people than me um people who have been raised during the time of the screens the computer screen the world wide web the phone screen um you know, I think of Greta Thunberg. I don't know if she identifies as a witch, but her actions as a child—I mean, reclaiming it—it it is and has been a politically active spiritual path, um, and her actions really felt to me like that they were are spiritual at, you know as well as political these labels are so cumbersome in my mouth mm-hmm. um
0: and I, I i feel you too i, I mean i don't know if Greta identifies as a witch but her <laughs> actions uh-huh. um are affecting major change
1: yeah I think. somebody stands up and because we are so interconnected globally, because of social media and that the internet, she has been able to inspire and gather and lead many more people than before the internet, like back in the day of the typewriter writer and the landline, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's faster, 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 more, more, more. And a lot of the ways that we can be global now are wonderful that we can be connected and have meetings, collectives, covens, committees with people from all over. If we can figure out the time zone thing and yeah. have a language in common. but has been a blessing and a curse Absolutely. to us and to the earth. So that kind of reach and ripple is part of what I believe modern witches stand in, live in, almost like someone conducting an orchestra. <laughs> Um, it's interesting
0: too, because I think we have all these tools at our fingertips and I think we're still grappling with how to use them effectively and uh-huh. how to be as effective as maybe witches were in the past, um, in their coven work, in their collective work and, uh-huh. um, I think there's still more more of maybe the embodied piece that we need to work on
1: well the balance of the three-dimensional body to the flatness of the screen just in terms of health mm-hmm. uh, individual health i believe is very important like I am my mind and i am more than my mind i am my screen and i am more than my screen like hello back body hello gravity hello soles of the feet it's um mm-hmm. i feel that embodiment practices are more vital than ever because of the era of the screen. Something will come after this. I don't know if I will be alive then, but this is what it is now. Um, Mm -hmm. So I, I feel like embodiment and earthiness and working with our hands and our voices and movement and sensation and turning off the screen sometimes is yes. um, very important. Although I do teach remotely and I do sessions with people remotely and I'm very grateful that I can do that.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, I don't know if you wanna talk about the, your transition to the screen because your work is very embodiment focused.
1: Well, m- quite a few years ago, I got connected with someone who lived up in Washington State, and, you know, I, I am not a very computer-savvy person at all. My brain does not work in the right way for that. Um, however, he said to me, it wasn't Zoom then, what the hell was it? Anyway, it was something like Zoom. He said, oh, there's this thing. I'll just send you an email with the steps how to do it. So I just started working with him on the screen. And I found out, I found that I could read his energy and read his body language and watch him stand up and move around or, you know, run his energy, you know, whatever it was. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was really, cool and also because at witch camps and in san francisco i met people from all over and also many people were in san francisco and then dispersed all over the united states and elsewhere and they i was still connected to them or they connected to me and still wanted to work with me so it It gradually increased, but the lockdown, you know, slammed it into place for everyone except the people who prefer to work on the phone. Mm -hmm. And that I have also always done with people who find it effective and satisfying um, for years and actually when when I work with my own, I know we're not talking about therapy per se, but we're talking about healing work. When I work with my own therapist, I work over the phone. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't wanna look at the screen. Yeah. I mean, I miss being in the room with her, but I can like move around and twitch and not think about how I look, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah so so yeah the so the transition was very easy for me and going to facilitating groups over zoom was incredibly easy except that for the people who work 40 hours a week and are mostly on the screen i feel really bad that we're meeting on the screen because the screen has its own particular kind of exhaustion mm-hmm. and uh, physiological impacts that make it much less fun or less tolerable for them to do a Saturday workshop for five hours, which is really four hours with an hour off in the middle, but you know, any amount of time. Right. And my, you know, my the dream group that I'm a member of has been meeting on Zoom ever since the lockdown. And, you know, many of us are elders and many of us have underlying conditions. So we're among the cautious who don't really believe the pandemic is entirely over, but that's a whole other ball of wax.
0: Totally. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the accessibility piece and the safety piece of the screen has been uh, really supportive for so many people, and I think it's it's a real testimony to how energy flows. And I don't know, for me, it's it doing work remotely. Um, it just kind of affirms that belief in in magic and energy and how um, palpable it is, even if you're not physically with somebody.
1: Yeah i was astounded that i could at at the very beginning that i could see auras and read chakras and uh, you know i miss the element of touch mm-hmm. but there's a lot of verbal guidance that can support a somatic practice over the screen or over the phone, it's nice to be able to see as well in that Mm -hmm. case.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm curious if there is, I know we already talked about Qigong that you mentioned you're practicing, but if there is a certain sort of embodiment practice that you're finding really nourishing or that you might want to share with our audience.
1: Well, I thought of something with a stone. Is that- Yeah, that, that sounds great. meets the criteria. Well, if you have a stone that's palm-sized or a little smaller or bigger, that you just choose because it appeals to you be, by color or shape or texture or where you found it or who gave it to you or whatever, Um, this, this practice is to sit with it on a table desk in front of you and hold one of your hands, you could try one and then the other and see which hand seems more enthusiastic about it, about a foot over the stone and let allow your hand to drift downward incredibly slowly uh, sometimes i think of a snowflake falling and sometimes i think of a pearl moving through oil and and i do often have a voice in the back of my mind saying in a nice tone of voice, slower, slower. And, as, and what I'm feeling for is the aura or the field of the stone, um, which I usually contact by texture or temperature first, but everybody's different. I mean, it, it may be that somebody else would be slowly, slowly dropping their hand and in their their mind would fill with green and that or some color and that would be the first or a sound or smell or a different kind of sensation than heat or texture although texture does cover a lot anyway um and, and so i I just bring my curiosity into the into my hand, and I imagine that the energy center or chakra in the center of my palm is really open. And I slow my breathing down, and before this, I ground myself. And when when my hand gets to like, oh, well, I don't know, you know, a quarter of an inch above the stone, I just hang there a little bit and kind of very slightly um, move my hand around a little forward, a little to this side, diagonally, you know, just, it's almost like um, uh, moving my feet from side to side and back and forth to go down into warm sand, but with my hand um, I'm just kind of seeing what other things I can feel uh, in terms of the stones, field, or aura. Like, are there parts that are lumpier, or and, you know, if the stone is a crystal shape, the the planes of the crystal will probably be somehow perceivable, palpable, and after that's been fun for a while, then I will rest my hand on the body of the stone. Um, with with a sense of saying hello, I mean, the hello kind of starts before I get all the way down to touch, but certainly as I touch the body of the stone, um saying hello to the to the spirit, the being of that stone. and feeling and perceiving what I can when I'm just resting my hand on the the outside of the stone. Um, and I all through this, I look with my inner eyes and I listen with my inner ears and I feel my sensations and my emotions. and I notice if my mind is is generating a narrative, what the narrative is, and um I will often ask the spirit of the stone if it will come forth in a way that I can perceive and just to say hello so we can meet each other. And sometimes it happens right away and sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes when it does happen, it's a voice, and sometimes it's a a figure of some sort. Um, yeah it can it, it can be per, the spirit of the stone can be perceived through any of the inner or outer senses sometimes there's a sense of toggling back and forth between inner and outer senses although i will say i often have my eyes closed when i do this but it's not a requirement and that resting on the stone is It's also about being in in gravity, like that likes the idea that gravity is the love of the earth holding us to her. So like being in my hand and really feeling it and really feeling the stone. And then usually after that, I. I will hold this between my palms and sort of continue this meet, meet and greet. Um, and I will imagine that my awareness is streaming from my heart through my shoulders and arms and into my hands and right there beside the body of the stone that I, that I bow to the being uh, the spirit of the stone um, in the way that in many um, Asian traditions, bowing is practice. It's not so much an, an American thing per se, but it's it's a lo- I find it to be a lovely way of honoring someone else. And then I also will often give the stone the smallest of squeeze pieces, like I'm shaking its hand, or I'm in California, hugging it, hello, mm-hmm. pre-COVID, um, and, and, and try to let myself have that very first impression that you will get if you meet someone and shake their hand, and you're paying attention to their hand, as well as everything else. Um, and I also always finish working with a stone by holding it either in one hand or between my hands and sending it love from my heart through my hands. And if I've already you know worked, I usually send love appreciation and gratitude. Um, in a first meeting, I suppose it could be just love and goodwill, but um gratitude never heard anything so yeah that is the practice it's also really nice to put your bare foot down on a stone it's nicer with a smooth tumbled stone than it is with a very pointy stone mm-hmm. but in the same way opening opening your foot chakra in the sort of in the middle of the sole of your foot and Uh, sort of pretending you're standing on it. With some stones, you can get away with actually standing on them, but I'm talking about sitting in a chair and doing that, and Mm -hmm. since the stones come out of the earth, it's nice to put them on the the floor, which is the earth, or the backyard, and um, feel it under your foot, and I also make a practice of thanking the earth and sending healing and appreciation to whatever mine the stones or whatever wherever they came from and, and the, the people that did the work since mining can be hard and dangerous and exploitative work. Mm-hmm. That's not really a part of this practice, but it's something that I like people to know about in, in working with stones, that it's it's a respectful and worthwhile thing to do. And sometimes my feeling is that the earth is very happy to give us her stones. And sometimes she feels very wounded to me in. Certain minds, mm-hmm. yeah, so reaching for where this this particular stone is from.
0: Yeah, it's so important to acknowledge that piece of the process. You know.
1: Yeah, yeah, I
0: appreciate that, and the, that practice is so beautiful. Do you would you recommend this practice kind of like as an ongoing, relationship building practice with stones? Yes. Or yes, great.
1: And I think it's really a great thing to to personally interact with the stone before reading or learning too much about it. I mean, Mm -hmm. I love books about stones and certain authors and experts I think are fabulous. And as much as, as we can have an unadulterated first experience, but get to that beginner's mind place, it's, it's a really, it's a great thing. I mean, I always think if, like with um, ex- experiences with psychedelic substances, like if someone has told you ad infinitum about what it is like to have an LSD trip, for example, before your first LSD trip, it can be really um, formative and also confining in a way that, you know, it's limiting and not a good way. I mean, sometimes mm-hmm. limits are good things, but yeah. So similar mm-hmm. to that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think as someone who has worked with stones and has worked in a crystal store in the past, like there's that sense of, someone approaching the stone world as if, you know, the stone is going to unlock some power or potential for them in their life, change their life, do all the healing for them. And I like how you're framing it within this kind of structure because it's really about developing your relationship with the stones, the earth, the process, that is making the stone. Um, Yeah. So there's there's a lot of richness and it can unlock so much intuitive information about yourself
1: too. And it changes so much over time. I mean, stones that I have felt almost allergic to over time have then just suddenly for no reason that I can figure out have opened to me and stones that were so important to my practice for three years or something, then kind of drift out and other stones come in. It's really so fascinating. It's like, I don't know, some people in life drift in and out, you know, move in and out, and then back in again like that. And you know the things that we're reading that that are so exciting or learning taking classes that are so exciting you know and then that time passes and something else comes so that that curious respectful curiosity and that sense of reciprocity with the stones feels so important to me
0: very much so thank you so much for sharing that I am, I'd love it if you could share how, how folks can, can find you and work with you.
1: Well, people can find me at my website, which is Kybele's Well. So Cabele is spelled how you probably wouldn't expect it to be. So I'm going to spell the website. It's C Y B E L E S w-e-l-l, com, And on the website, there is a way to contact me over email. Um, And I did want to share a couple things about what's available now with me, just briefly, briefly. Please, yeah. Um, So the Seven Gates Chakra and Gemstone journey part one or part one and two are always available to individuals to um work they want to make that kind of commitment um each cycle is eight months long with one meeting per month and two stones per month working with chakra a month and Also I am offering uh, new moon dream incubation sessions that are basically um, dream work after the fact, teaching about dream incubation and then dream work after the fact with whatever the person catches. And I also will work with people who are incubating a dream for their birthday. And I'm certainly open to people who are incubating dreams on important anniversaries of other events that are Mm meaningful to them, including when people have died and all different important times. Um, And the dream work and also Incorporate moving into making an intention consciously in language and me making a circle of stone that's attuned to that intention, which is a stone necklace crafted in sacred space, a unique one. I don't uh, do certain ones for certain types of intentions. Um, Also, I just will make circles of stone for people without any dream work connected with it, since not everybody is interested in dream work. Um, So all those things are available to individuals or small groups that want to collect themselves. I am not interested in beating the bushes and trying to form small groups Mm -hmm. at this moment. And Uh, mostly the people do the ongoing stone keeper four times a year work with me are people who have done one or both of the seven gates chakra and gemstone journey with me um although not always people who have some foundation in um work, chakra work magic yeah Amazing. Um, yeah, and I'm I am currently still working remotely, even with individual healing sessions. Although there is the possibility of in-person sessions um, here in Sebastopol, where I live, it would just depend upon the particulars of the moment, mm-hmm. my health, your health, the health. Right. <laughs> I know, the
0: collective health. Right. That's beautiful. I have to say that as someone who's walked through the, the waterfall, the seven gates cycles, it's a really transformative experience. So I encourage people to check it out and work with Cabele wholeheartedly. Thank you so much for this conversation. I feel like it was really rich and covered a lot. So I really appreciate it. And I know folks will really enjoy it too.
1: Yes, it was very. It was really so much fun. It was kind of like rummaging around in a a chest full of treasures, many of which are stones, and kind of going, "Oh, there's this one. Oh, this is important." <laughs> anyway, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Very enjoyable. Thank you. Thank You're you. welcome. You're welcome. So, uh, be well, everyone.